This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hello there and welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, the founder of MrDad.com. Most parents are perfectly fine communicators, unless they're talking to their children. Then, too often, their pitch rises and they come across as pleading, indignant, wounded, outraged. In tone and body language, they signal, I can't handle it when you act like a child. In this part of today's show, we're going to be talking with a practicing social clinical psychologist who saw this pattern time and time again in her practice. In response, she developed a remarkably effective series of what she called voice lessons, which she shared with parents who were struggling with their kids. The results were immediate. A shift in vocal style led to children who were calmer, listened more attentively, and communicated with more warmth, respect, and sincerity. As the parents found their voices, turns out, so did the kids. The art of conversation with children, she says, rests not only on content, but also on learning to speak in an ever-changing dialect that evolves as the child matures. Understanding a child's cognitive abilities, temperament, and interests, along with neurobiological and gender differences, are the first steps towards effective communication. We'll start talking about voice lessons for parents and how they can benefit you and your family, right after this. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brat, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. Peekaboo, peekaboo, smile. Smile, buddy. Come on, smile. Oh, honey, he's still not smiling. Maybe he's not a smiler. <sighs> yeah, maybe he's just not a happy baby. Maybe he's just being a boy. You know how boys are. Or maybe he's teething. Oh, poor baby, I think his gums hurt. Maybe he's just tired. Or maybe his tummy hurts. He didn't eat that much. Maybe he's not ticklish. You think maybe he's scared of the dog? Maybe he'll outgrow it. Maybe it's a phase. Maybe he just doesn't like smiling. Maybe he has autism, and we can definitely do something to help. Maybe is all you need to find out more about autism. No big, joyful smiles by six months is one early sign. Learn the others at autismspeaks.org signs, or see a doctor today for an autism screening. The sooner it's diagnosed, the better. And it can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brought. My guest for this part of today's show is Wendy Mogul, who's the author of Voice Lessons for Parents, What to Say, How to Say It, and When to Listen. Wendy, thanks for joining us. Thanks for coming back on the show. You were here quite a while ago when your, your book, uh, The Blessing of a Skin Knee, came out. That's right, and I'm happy to be back again. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. So let's talk about the, the whole concept of communicating with kids and where parents go wrong. So it's, this is something that has gotten harder than ever, and it's a paradox because parents are actually spending more time with their children than they used to, but they're having a harder time having conversations with them that are delightful or important. And part of the reason is technology, 
And part of the reason is that we are so nervous and hurried and uh, ambitious that we try to download all the important information and all the improvements that our children need all at once. And so they become parent deaf and stop listening to us. Wait, but what what are we doing with them? If we're spending more time with them than we used to, are we just sitting watching something or texting or what, what's going on? And, and who's calculating this? Uh, there have been a couple of studies um, of the sociodemographic and time maps of family life. And it was, it was a surprising finding, even working mothers, because in the past, Parents would say to their kids, kids had very little homework, or they would say to their kids in the summer, okay, out the door, and you can come back when it gets dark. And now we are taking them to tutors and educational therapists and enrichment activities to and from school. They don't walk to school on their own, lots of kids. I don't know if you did when you were a boy, but I certainly did. Walk to school with a gang of other kids. And, uh, and so then the other piece that you mentioned is when parents are with their children. It's called Linda Stone, the technology theorist, ha- describes it as continuous partial attention. <laughs> okay. And it's also called technoference, which is we are half listening and half attending. And the other half of us is connected to our drug of choice, which is that little screen. Wow. And But that, that works both ways. I mean, I don't want you to, all the parents to feel guilty, although they should feel perhaps a little more guilty. But the kids are doing it, too. And, and I wonder how much of that is a, a bit of a vicious circle is, well, if the kids are going to be on their phone, well, I might as well be on mine, too. But then they could be saying the same thing. Because it's not just guilt, it's a loss of the hilarity and the humor and the gloriousness and the fun and delight of seeing the world through a child's eyes in 2018. So the parents are being deprived of the magic of childhood. And the courage is that it's easier to just let it go than to have a fight. So the kids are on their devices and the parents are on theirs. I just last night came back from vacation and was stunned to see whole families in restaurants in a tropical resort, Um, every single person looking at a screen, including the two-year-olds. You know, then, I, I don't even know what to do about that exactly. It's 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 a fascinating thing, and and I do a lot of a lot of toy and game reviews, and there are some of these kind of uh, what do you call them, like solve the riddle kinds of things or escape the room types of things, and which some of them I've seen are really wonderful. They're all paper and. The clues are on paper, and you open up envelopes, and you solve things, and you're working together. And then there are some that are like that, but they're all phone-based, that you have to <laughs> identify a picture, or you have to go online and, and solve something online. And they're, they're very different in the way that 
people interact or don't? Because it's once it's phone based, you're not using all five senses in the three dimensional world. And I am absolutely not a Luddite. I love the Merriam-Webster.com dictionary site word quiz of the day. I would never miss it. Um, And certainly the Internet is extremely helpful to me in my work. All of us need it and can use it well. It's not going anywhere. It's a question of moderation. Right. So what about the issue of voice? It was interesting that as I was going through the book trying to to uh, reconcile the the phrase voice lessons with my sister the cantor who has <laughs> you know did voice lessons to <laughs> to the point of destroying everybody else's and hearing in the house. <laughs> um, so speaking of cantors, the basic Jewish principle is about everything, basically, is moderation, celebration, and sanctification. And so we want to use our devices and our technology in a moderate way. And the celebration and sanctification is to treat children with great dignity and respect. And what I noticed, so I'm a clinical psychologist. I've been in practice for 35 years. And something new started to happen, I would say, 10 years ago, which was that parents, so parents come in and they tell me what's going on with their child. And we dig down very deep, not for the family dynamics, but for the very specific elements of each frustration or the child's outburst or the parent's indignation. And I asked them what time of day it happened and if they were hungry and how many things the child had already done that day. And as the parents were recounting these tales to me, their voices would become much higher pitched. Hmm. They would sound indignant, as I just mentioned. And, and, they came across as pleading, wounded, outraged. In both their tone and body language, they were signaling to their children, I can't handle it when you act like a child. And it became a form of sibling rivalry. So the kids thought, I don't have to listen to this bitch. You know, she's just, uh, she is ranting at me. I'll just ignore her. And with dad, same thing. And the dads often don't even try as much. Wow. Does that make sense? It, it does. And I, I'm trying to think, and, and I can't for the life of me come up with an example of, of actually having seen that. I, I wonder if it's, if it's something that I do. I don't know. I try not to be too shrill with my kids, but... Yeah, I, yeah. I don't think... I don't think the... Fathers are as shrill, um, but they will sometimes, because here's a really interesting finding, babies develop their vocabulary more quickly when they're at least partially in the care of their fathers, because the fathers don't know 
every little, and these are wild stereotypes, and sometimes they're completely reversed. Well, dads tend to use bigger words or more complicated words. And they also, they have to ask and tell. And they use different words. They use words about transportation, or they use words about um, what the father is experiencing with the child. The mother can often read the child's cues Hmm. wordlessly. So they don't have to expand their vocabulary. Well, that's an interesting thing. I wonder whether that's going to change as more dads get more and more involved. I mean, with all the stay-at-home dads, they're... all the you know. time on the street, I see fathers talking to their children yeah. in a very tender, respectful, grown-up, but age-appropriate way. Talking with Wendy Mogul, who's the author of Voice Lessons for Parents, What to Say, How to Say It, and When to Listen. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll keep talking to Wendy. Well, Jason, I've got to tell you, you're pretty much everything this company is looking for in an entry-level candidate. Great. Your resume isn't quite what we're used to, but you've got a fantastic work ethic. Thank you. And I'm impressed by how you carry yourself. So, should we talk about the job? Uh, What? The job? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I have no way of recruiting or even meeting you. This interview didn't happen. It may sound ridiculous, and that's because it kind of is. There's a huge pool of talent your company is missing out on. Meet the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. Man, we really could have used him. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. This is Mario Andretti. You know me as a race car driver, but I'm also a Meals on Wheels volunteer. I've raced against the sport's biggest personalities, but I've never met more vibrant, amazing people than the seniors served by Meals on Wheels. As a volunteer, you deliver a hot, nutritious meal and a friendly hello to someone just like your mother, grandfather, or next-door neighbor. These seniors are inspiring people with incredible stories to share. And they love to see you. The smiles you get back are priceless. Delivering with Meals on Wheels is easy. And you don't have to drive like me for it to be quick. You can volunteer your lunch break once a week or just once a month. With one in six seniors facing hunger and many more living in isolation, your lunch break can make a real difference. So, America, let's do lunch. Volunteer your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Wendy Mogul, who's the author of Voice Lessons for Parents, What to Say, How to Say It, and When to Listen. And so let's let's talk about a little bit more about that. I think it, it's fascinating, the differences between dads and, and moms in that regard. I mean, I know that my kids have always told me that, that you know they're old enough now that we can actually have a conversation at as adults, but that they, they say to me, you know, you've always talked to us like we were adults. You know, I, I, just, I you know, never did the little coochie-coo kind of stuff and always thought that they could handle it. And I, I remember actually years ago, and this was a, a, a female babysitter, when the oldest one, who's 28 now, was maybe two or three, this, uh, this girl was a, a student at UC Berkeley in somewhere in psychology, and my daughter, who's two years old, comes home from uh, having hung out with the babysitter 
and she says something about a parapsychologist. <laughs> and I thought, what? I mean, <laughs> and I thought, you know what? What's the matter with teaching a kid a word like that? If she can pronounce it, then you know she clearly she's is able to handle it. I mean, she's not going to be able to you know, identify one or write out a job description. But you know, who, who's to say that you can't? That you have to talk about trains and fluffy bunnies all the time. Why not parapsychologists? Um, you can th- you can think of words and the lexicon of a child's life as toys. Yeah. That it's really entertaining and fascinating to turn them around and see how they're created and see what they apply to and see what portals of enchantment they open up. If you can get to your child's eye level, put down what you're doing and have an open-ended conversation, not deep, emotional, how, how are you feeling? No, how are you really feeling? And how did it go at school today? And who did you sit with at lunch and with the, those girls who used to be your best friends? Were they mean to you again? Do you know the word humiliation, sweetheart? Not that kind of conversation. <laughs> no, no. But to talk to them about something interesting that happened in your day that reminded you of them. And yeah. then they have the sense that you hold them in mind when you're apart, and that's a wonderful antidote to separation anxiety. Yeah, well, that, that's the, what separation anxiety is supposed to be about, I guess, is that their, their memories are, are forming a little bit differently, and they're just learning to be able to keep us in mind while, while we're gone, but they, right. they're worried that they might forget us or that we might forget to come back or something. Yeah. But so what what about this this tone of voice thing and the the higher pitch? Is this something that you can actually train people and and will saying the same words with the same intonation but with a lower tone will that help anything? Different tone and intonation. So this is literally what we do in my office and because I live in Los Angeles and this is a company town, everybody's in show business, I can say to the people that I work with, I can say, I need a different line reading here. <laughs> because that's what that's what casting agents say to, to people who are auditioning for parts. So the same sentence said with a different tone that is not uh, does not have the flavor of searching for intel because lots of kids come not to trust their parents because they think that they're looking for the inside dope that is going to get them in trouble, the child. But to be curious, open-minded, not jumping to judgment, reflecting before reacting. And in no way does this mean being permissive or allowing the kids to do whatever they want. It means listening to them in a respectful fashion. So how do you teach that to people who are are not in Hollywood? So I can teach it to anybody. We just do it. We literally do it. I play the part of the child, and my client plays themselves, and then we switch. And in a few minutes, we're laughing. And that means when they get home to their child, instead of feeling this terrible urgency that we all feel so much of the time, did I do the right thing? 
there's a new concept, I think, you know about FOMO, fear of missing out. So now there's FOBO, fear of um, choosing the less ideal alternative. So I don't have the acronym exactly right there, but in our minds, it's the paradox of choice. We think, oh, is this the right school? Does she have the right third grade teacher? Is this a good friend for her in second grade, or is this going to become a gateway drug friend? Should we sign him up for a team sport, even though he really loves to paint? That's the overprotective stuff that we do. Yeah, it's overprotective, and it's also displacement of our own anxiety mm-hmm. about aging, about the condition of the planet, about the the job market, about our in-laws, whatever is on your mind. It comes through in the quality of your voice when you speak to your child. So how can you describe that to people who are not going to be fortunate enough to be in the same room with you and, and have you discussing things face-to-face? So face? that's why I wrote the book. Yeah, that's, that's it. So we've got, to, we've got to get and some of those lessons across to people. Yes, and this is what I said in the book. Um, three steps to transforming your communication with your child. Relax your shoulders and place your hands in your lap. Lower your pitch and slow your tempo. Don't use a patronizing or babyish tone. (laughs) Even your brilliant child has a limited attention span. Keep your messages brief and deliver them loudly and clearly. And practice full frontal listening. Want your child to hear you? Put down your digital device and give him your full attention. A hand Hmm. resting gently on his shoulder enhances the connection. What phrases make your kids cringe? You don't mean that. Who did you sit with at lunch? Be careful. I was thinking about that the other day. I was thinking no human being has ever been more careful after someone said to them, be careful. Oh, I oh, I think about that every time I hear about that. Oh, do a good job. What, what right. are, you, are you serious? Like cowboy movie, the cowgirl always says before the cowboy rides off into the the sunset or wherever he's going, be careful. Yeah, like, um, oh, oh, yeah, you know, thank you for telling me that because I was just going to go off and, and do some dumb thing. I, yeah. I mean, it's, I, I've, I've had, <laughs> I actually wrote a column about this a, a couple of years ago was about, you know, watch out for things like, oh, you're going to put your eye out with that or you're going to, you're going to smash your hand in the door. It, really? That's, I would imagine that's why a lot of kids don't trust their parents because none of those things ever come true. Or, they or, never come true. There's a wonderful Swedish researcher. Her name is Ellen Sandsetter, and she wrote an article called The Antiphobic Effects of Thrilling Experience. And she says that every child needs to be exposed to great heights from which they could fall and, and really harm themselves, deep water in which they could drown, fire in which they could get burned, uh, power tools that they learn how to handle, and uh, a traveling at great speed and aggression. That sibling rivalry is, is wonderful practice for learning how to manage conflict with another human being about your size or a little bit bigger or smaller. And if we protect children from all of this, they will not be hardy perennials. They'll be hothouse flowers. 
Wow. So let him alone. Stop being so protective. Stop being so protective. But be fascinated. They are so interesting. And um, another thing I emphasize a, a lot with families is the joy of private jokes. That if you have a difficult time, if you go on a vacation, it doesn't turn out well, or to a party, or visit the grandparents, anything that was a rough patch, eventually it will be funny. And it becomes part of the family lore, which is a precious archive that you can refer back to all through your child's growing up years. I'm sure you and your 15-year-old daughter have lots of things that are only funny to the two of you. Oh, yeah. There's no shortage. <laughs> Wendy Mogles, the author of Voice Lessons for Parents, What to Say, How to Say It, and When to Listen. Wendy, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back again. Okay, wonderful to talk to you, Armin. It only takes a minute to find out if you may have prediabetes. And you can do it at doihaveprediabetes.org. But you're probably not going to. Nope. I'm sure you've got a perfectly good excuse. Kids, work, <laughs> I get it. You're busy. So what better time than now? Let's begin. Raise one finger if you're a man. Ladies, none yet. Oh, count in your head if you're driving. Now, three more fingers for everyone over 60, two over 50, one over 40, one more if you're not physically active. Another finger if anyone in your family has type 2 diabetes. Another if you've got high blood pressure. If you're overweight, raise another finger. Two if you're very overweight. And three if you're really overweight. You've just taken the world's first audio pre-diabetes test. And if you're holding up five or more fingers, visit doihaveprediabetes.org or talk to your doctor. There's no excuse because prediabetes can be reversed. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brunt, and it's time for a Parents at Play segment. Anyone who loves or even just appreciates science will tell you that there's something beautiful about it. At the same time, those who love or even just appreciate art often admire the technique and scientific precision that can go into creating a masterpiece. This week, we had a chance to experience several engaging products that blur the lines between art and science. The Virtuality from Curiscope. Among its many applications, augmented reality, AR, has the capacity to revolutionize education, and the Virtuality is a great example. Just download the free iOS or Android app, have someone put on the included t-shirt, or if you're alone, you can use selfie mode, and get ready to explore the circulatory, that's bloodstream, respiratory, the lungs, and digestive, the intestine, systems, in a truly eye-popping way. Each one uses 360-degree videos that make you feel like you're stepping inside your own body. While exploring the bloodstream, for example, you'll barrel through veins and arteries dodging giant blood cells. Touch on-screen hotspots, and an onboard anatomy expert will explain everything you need to know. If you're looking for a way to spark or deepen an interest in human anatomy, you can't do better than this. It's for ages 6 and up, costs $29.95 at Curiscope.com. The Augie Augmented Reality Robot from Pi Technologies. As far as we know, Augie is the first coding robot that comes with AR technology. 
What's especially cool about Augie is that after introducing the basics of coding using Blockly, he or she then grows with your child through six distinct progression-based modes. Your little programmer will soon have Augie dashing around your house, nimbly avoiding obstacles, spinning and making sounds, all while stealthily stimulating your child's imagination, critical thinking, logic, and problem-solving skills. The app is free, as are the over 60 AR coding tutorials. It's for ages 5 and up, costs under $95. You can get it at pi.technology. The Boolean Box from Boolean Girl. While we applaud any and all efforts to get girls interested in technology and engineering, there is absolutely no reason why this product needs to be targeted only at girls. Boolean Box is a well-designed, high-quality kit that comes with everything, and I mean everything, keyboard, processor, wires, resistors, buttons, lights, and so on, that a child of either sex would need to build a computer, and then use it to code and create other tech projects. Software, including Minecraft, is preloaded. The only thing that's not included is a monitor, but there's an HDMI cable that will allow you to connect it to your TV or computer screen. Inspiration and instructions for hundreds of projects are at the Boolean Girl website, as is admission to Boolean University, which has even more coding and electronics projects. Putting together the computer is easy for a novice to accomplish without much help from mom or dad. Coding is easy to learn with Scratch, which is a visual programming language, but kids will be ready to move on to Python before you know it. Batteries are required, but not included. It's for ages 7 and up. Costs under $150, and you can find out more at BooleanGirl.org. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.